The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. Well, this week, I'm handing over the podcast fully to my colleagues down under. They'll walk us through the $29 billion deal that Square Chief Executive Jack Dorsey struck this week for Afterpay and how the combined firm could pose a bigger challenge to entrench traditional banks and payments companies. Over to you guys. In a booming year of uh, M&A, we've just had a colossal transaction for Australia, the biggest ever, really, with Square buying Afterpay. I'm Jeff Goldfarb here in Melbourne with my colleague, Anthony Curry. Anthony, this deal really, all kinds of interesting facets, both from the seller side, uh, Afterpay, and from Square. When we start with with Afterpay and this this product that they've just kind of really been a pioneer in uh, in the modern era. Yeah, it's an amazing story, really, isn't it? So this company is about, I think, seven years old. It went public in 2016 on the Australian Stock Exchange. And it, it basically does installment payments, you know, higher purchase, the kind of things that our parents used to talk about all those years ago, but it, you know, all that then got replaced by credit cards. But it does it in a different way. It doesn't really charge anything, at least not to us, the borrowers. Uh, it's all done mostly via by charging the merchants. And it basically does things like, you know, let's say, for example, you make a payment and you'll pay it back in four installments over, say, a week, a month or two months. So the credit risk is meant to be lower. Afterpay doesn't take too much credit risk on, although there's arguments about how much uh, out there in the market. And it's become very quickly the darling of the Australian fintech market. In fact, the Australian market, in many respects, it's gone up 12-fold, or actually by its peak, I think it's gone up 12-fold or more from the depths of the pandemic in March last year. Uh, an amazing ride, and it's been sold for, for 29 billion US dollars, so almost 40 billion Aussie dollars all told. So it's, uh, as you said, it marks the, the, the biggest deal in Australian history. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those companies that has constantly been skeptics about it because it's product that sort of skirts regulation in the sense that it's not really considered a loan or credit, which means it's it's regulated differently. But it, at the same time, it's been hugely popular um, with younger people, particularly through the pandemic. The growth has been extraordinary. It's the valuation that's been a question. From, from Square's perspective, though, they're being a little bit offensive, really trying to go after the big banks, which has been sort of the, the big question mark for a lot of the fintech stars. Can they really challenge the big banks. This deal sort of gets them a little bit of momentum in that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Square's probably best known for the ability to do your transactions out at a market, a farmer's market or something, as well as you know regular businesses as well. But it's made it much easier for small businesses, even one-person businesses out on the street to take a credit card payment or a debit card payment. It's expanded beyond that, of course. It's got into lending a bit. Uh, it's got heavily into cryptocurrencies as well in the past year or so. But yeah, I mean, it's now a $120 billion company, which makes it bigger than a a lot of the U.S. banks that it's smaller than in some respects from customer point of view or from a, a turnover point of view. But what it didn't really have was this buy now, pay later product, which actually its bigger rival PayPal in the U.S. already has and it turned on, I think, in Australia just last month, right, with 9 million customers here that it could then offer the, the buy now, pay later product to, which actually that and Apple coming in or allegedly coming in with some ideas for buy now, pay later products over the past couple of months actually depressed Afterpay stock by about 
40%. So in some respects, Square's seen an opportunity here and thought, well, this is a product we probably need to be in. We need it so we can compete with PayPal. We need it so that we can more ably compete with the banks because you know, we're offering a different style of credit product that the banks probably are very wary of doing. Uh, simply because you know it's going to eat into eventually eat into their credit card margins, you would think. Although some of the banks, like Commonwealth Bank of Australia down here, uh, has uh, started its its own product, uh, and I believe uh, City is going to start one here as well. Although City's selling its retail business here, but that's another story. Yeah, no, I mean I think it's interesting in the sense that, as you say, Square really started with you know a little device you plug into your phone or your iPad makes it easier for small businesses to accept credit cards and debit cards, but what's really exploded for them is their payments app. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, sitting out here in the Asia Pacific region, as you and I do, you hear a lot about super apps, right? Like, yep. especially in the financial technology space, it's putting all of these things together, one-stop shop. You don't hear as much of that in the United States. It hasn't developed because of the legacy systems that are in place that are owned by the credit card companies and the banks. Square now seems to be, if you put together payments, crypto, they bought an online music service from Jay-Z, and now, now Afterpay, you, you may actually have something, you know, if you can make it work, obviously there's a big if, like putting all that together. You know, how big a threat do you really think they can be in the, in the general financial kind of uh, competitive space? It's interesting when, when you when you say threat. It's like the idea is always that you know these fintech players will come along and disrupt and get rid of the banks in many respects. That's certainly how some of the players uh, in fintech think about it. In fact, one of them, Max Levchin, who set up a firm which is a rival to Afterpay, has been saying that for years. And yet, you know, a firm went public this year, shot up in value, and and then along with Afterpay and and a couple of others dropped in value, in fact, dropped far more in value than it was about 60% or so before Afterpay's deal was announced. So it is difficult to be competitive and replace the banks. You're right, though, this positions Square to be much more of a challenger. How much of a threat it is, I don't know yet. I think we've got a way to go. Same with PayPal. PayPal is, in some respects, more advanced than some of the products it's offering, you know, with Venmo and other things than Square has been. But both of them are in a position, certainly, to be far bigger players. The question is how much more regulatory risk they want take on board and how much regulatory capital they want to set aside, which may crimp their earnings over time, although they're both growing pretty fast. So I think that's that's the big question for them. how much of a bank do you want to be? And also how much of a bank do people like us and more importantly, uh, the younger generation really want to have in the future compared to what a Square or a uh, an Afterpay or uh, a company like PayPal can offer? Yeah, and one of the interesting pieces of this uh, from the corporate finance perspective, I guess, is that uh, you mentioned Afterpay, obviously a darling in the Australian market uh, for a big cap company, incredibly volatile. You'd see massive swings. What they did, though, was they sold at a big, pre, you know, a typical M&A premium, 30% premium. It's all stock. So uh, shareholders of Afterpay will be nearly uh, one-fifth owners of the combined company of, of Square. But even with the premium, it's down from their peak. And part of that, you mentioned PayPal, Apple also rumored to get into this. Mm. Talk a little bit about, can you tell us like, why did they sell at a, or why do you think they sold it at effectively a discount to their peak, which was not that long ago? Yeah, they're selling about 20% below their peak back in February. And actually, the stock was higher than the price offered by Square just about a month ago. I, I think 
So there are a few things going on. I think the stock probably did get way ahead of itself. I don't think Afterpay would ever want to admit that, although this sale kind of sort of does admit it, uh, I suppose. I, I think there is just a, a looking at the market, you think there's only so far we can go on our own. We're sort of hitting the limits of our growth, although they were growing really well still, but within a certain base of customers. They were growing really fast in the US, but with Square, they get 70 million more customers they can push their products through. And yes, they were growing faster than Square. They had a higher multiple than Square. So I think shortage term there may well be a drag on stock price appreciation for afterpay shareholders once part of square but longer term you've got to think it's one of those rare times where you can talk about revenue synergies between two merging companies without chuckling or knowing that you're talking a lot of rubbish these guys probably could get a lot of revenue synergies from putting the two types of businesses together we've talked about this a little bit as if it's a done deal and it is an agreed deal the two boards have agreed to do it and they're moving forward when we see these kinds of big transactions, it tends to lead to copycat deals. And of course, you mentioned a firm. There's also Klarna, which is still a private, yeah. I believe, backed by the great Snoop Dogg, and uh, <laughs> who's an investor. Is well, two, I guess two-part question. One is, could somebody jump this deal? Is there anyone else out there that might want to jump in and, and offer more than what Square is offering? And or are we going to see a buyer maybe for a different uh, competitor of Afterpay. Yeah. The one company that could step in if it wanted to is PayPal, but they have a product that uh, seems to rival Afterpay's. They don't manage to switch it on really easily. So why would you come in and spend lots of money if you've done it yourself? I think it's still, it's early days for them with their product. Maybe they be, they think, let's just go after one that that is much more established. You'd like to think that one of the big banks would go for it, but that's a massive multiple to pay for a huge disruptor, potential disruptor of your business. And, you know, I, I don't, you, we always hear that, you know, maybe Jamie Dimon wants to do another big deal before he retires in five years time, which of course he says every year that he's going to retire in five years time. But it's a big deal for not just on price, but a big deal conceptually for a traditional bank to swallow. Maybe though, a JP Morgan or a Commonwealth bank down here, or you know, one of the European players would be interested in say buying Zip, which is a rival down here, which is worth only three or four billion Aussie dollars. So far smaller. And if it doesn't work, it's not such a problem. For Klarna, the likes of those, I don't know, Klarna's what, $50 billion? Was that the valuation we saw most it's recently? Pretty, yeah, I forget. It's a pretty big one, though. Yeah, that again is really huge. And uh, I know at the moment it feels like fintech, it's much easier for a big fintech to buy a big fintech than it is for um, a traditional bank to do it. But who knows, maybe one of them could take the leap and, and try and say, look, we are converting. We need to make sure that that our business stays current over the next 20 years. And credit cards, as as juicy as those fees are, isn't going to be it in 10 years' time, perhaps. And we need to have a backup. All right. Well, we will leave it there. There'll be plenty more to talk about uh, in this space. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. That's our show for the week. Thanks to our producers, Sharon Lamb and Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong. And to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Thank you. Bye-bye.